Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We are started a couple of weeks ago a series that's looking through the biblical book of Exodus. If you're unfamiliar with the scripture, uh, if you open any Bible, the second book in the Bible is the book of Exodus. And Exodus tells the story of God's saving work with the nation of Israel who are enslaved in the land of Egypt. And the first half of it tells the narrative of what happened, the powerful acts of God in actually rescuing these people out of slavery. And the back half of the book is often the graveyard of young, kind of passionate Bible readers because it starts to get into some really kind of interesting laws and rules and regulations of how to do community life. And if we don't read that with some good context, we can get bogged down in it. But we're looking at the first half, the narrative of what God did. And last week, we looked at the story of how Moses was out tending sheep and God spoke to him. And we discovered that God is a God who saves, that the nature of God has always been to rescue and redeem and restore people, to bring healing and restoration to people that are broken, and people that have been affected by sin and dumb choices. And so we've looked at the fact that that's God's nature, and it's been his nature since the very beginning, and obviously it came to a culmination in the life and the work of Jesus. But God is the God who saves. But today I want to go into something that really affects us. And some of my message today is going to speak to people that have already made a decision to follow Jesus, but I think there's something in this for all of us. Because one of the things you discover when you read the biblical story is that God always involves people in his redemptive work. God always involves people in his redemptive work. We get a glimpse of that when we go back to the very first chapters of the Bible where it said God placed Adam and Eve, the very first created humans, said God placed them in this good creation, in this garden that he had created, and he put them in there to do what? The Bible says to work the garden and take care of it. You see, God has always had something for people to do, not just because he wants to invent stuff, but he's good enough that he actually wants to invent Involve us in who he is and what he's doing. So from the very pitch, beginning, we get a picture that God involves people in his redemptive work. When we jump into the book of Exodus, we are read and we're going to be looking today a little bit at this character Moses, who God, we don't, Moses isn't anyone special necessarily, but God puts his finger on this young man's life and says, Moses, I'm going to use you, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And as you walk through the scripture, every person you encounter, is just an individual that had their story written into God's redemptive story. Joshua walked around the walls of the city because God was going to actually take his people into a promised land. There's a story of Gideon and Esther. There's a story of Ruth and Abraham and David. In the New Testament, the story of the disciples that chose to follow Jesus. They got the joy of being part of God's redemptive work because God always involves people in his redemptive work. But this isn't just a biblical story. You know, I realize that everybody I've ever spoken to that tells me their salvation story, that at some point in that salvation story, there's a key person or key people that were catalysts for what God did. Everyone I've ever met would tell a story that went something like this. God did something and God used someone. God did something and God used someone. And I want you to think right now, if 
you're here and you've got a story of God's saving work in your life, I guarantee there'll be someone in that story that God used as a catalyst for what he did in your life. Now, for a bunch of us, it might be parents. We grew up in an environment where our parents were critical in uh, the story of faith in our own lives. But for others of us, it'll be a a football coach or it'll be a youth group leader or it'll be somebody that was in our life group. It was a life group that we were part of. It wasn't just one person. It was a group of people that loved us, cared for us and brought healing into our life. For others, it might just be someone in your workplace that had the courage to minister to you in the name of Jesus. All of us have got somebody in our story that God used to do his good work in us. There's someone and they did something. It was my youth leader, my friend, my colleague. And they invited me to something. They wrote something for me. They prayed for me. They shared with me. Whatever it was, God uses people in his redemptive work. It's written throughout the biblical story and it's written throughout your story. And here is the reality and here's the challenge that I want to ask today. If that's the case, if God uses people in doing his redemptive work, I wonder if God's got a story that's yet to be written that your name's going to be associated with. Maybe there's a story waiting to be written that your name is going to be associated with. Imagine if God stood before you today, pulled you up individually, think about yourself here, stood you out the front, looked you in the eye and said to you this, there is a life-changing, addiction-breaking, freedom-finding, future-defining, grace-giving, purposeful living, generationally-reforming, eternally-transforming story that I'm going to help you write. How would you feel about that? I mean, he's got some rhyme, doesn't he? I just got in the rhythm of writing that and just kept going. I thought, I don't care how corny this sounds. Imagine if that was the invitation for you today. If God said, actually, I want you to get, I want you to grasp the enormity of what I'm going to allow you to be part of. There's somebody in your world who as of yet does not know the grace of God for their own life does not yet know that there is a God who created them and loves them more deeply than any love they can find in any human or any other experience that actually has purposed them for something, gives them a reason for living. But more than that, and more importantly than any of that, actually the thing that God wants to do in them is going to transform them, not just for this life, but for all eternity. That is a fairly significant thing, isn't it, that God wants to do in someone's life. And guess what? There's a whole bunch of people that that hasn't happened for yet, but God wants to use you in that story. You see, our stories always say this, God did something and God used someone. But we see that and we think, I wonder whether I could be part of that because that's really dawning. Well, here's the principle for today. Anytime God uses you as part of someone else's story, it's him that does the miraculous. All he asks is for you to be obedient, okay? You have no power to do any of that stuff. You have no power to save anybody. God does the saving. He just uses willing and obedient people to be part of the joy of seeing the story written. Now, I know as good as that little picture I gave you sounds, right across this room right now, I reckon I can get inside some of your heads and tell you the dialogue that's going on right at this moment. And you're going to think, how does he know what I'm thinking? But as good as it sounds to be part of that and to be part of having your name as part of someone else's salvation or redemptive story, I guarantee across this room right now, some of you are saying this. This is the dialogue inside of your head. Well, that sounds good for others. Or I couldn't do that. 
or I'm way too far down the list of people competent to ever be part of a story like that. Or the dialogue in your head says, I don't know enough, or I'm too shy, or I don't know what to say to people, or I don't know enough about Jesus, or my life is way too big a mess for God to use me. And God, that sounds awesome, but I know that's not for me, that's for somebody else. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to stick your hand up right now if that's what you're thinking, but I guarantee some of you right now, I just got inside your head and just echoed the words that you're thinking. When someone stands up here and says, God wants to use you to be part of someone else's salvation story, your instant thought is, that sounds wonderful, but that's not something that could ever be for me. See, I reckon some of us need to walk out of here this morning getting this principle. God will do the miraculous. God will do the saving. The thing he's asking for is willing obedience. Let me pick up the story from last week. We read how Moses was tending flocks, sees this bush that's burning but not being consumed by fire, goes over there and starts having a dialogue with a burning bush. It's a crazy moment, isn't it? And a voice comes out of the bush and says, this is a holy moment, this is holy ground, Moses. Take off your shoes. You're talking to the almighty God. And God says, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. I've seen the misery of my people and I've been moved by that. Now I am gonna come, God says, and rescue them. Yeah, here we get it again. God says, I will do the rescuing. I will do the saving. But listen to how God finishes this dialogue of, I've heard it, Moses, I've seen it, I've been moved by it, I'm on my way. Verse nine from Exodus three, God then says to Moses, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go. I'm sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses, I've seen it, I've heard it, I'm coming, I'm going to do the rescue, I'm going to save my people. Moses, go. I'm going to use you to bring my people out of Egypt. Now, this is a pretty cool moment for Moses, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a burning bush that's like in the way Moses saw. I've seen plenty of bushes burning, but... This is a burning bush that's not being consumed by the fire and that speaks. Has anyone else had, if you've had, I won't ask you to show yourself publicly, come tell me about it, it'd be pretty cool, but I've never met anyone that's talked to a burning bush. This is a pretty cool moment in history. I mean, Moses is standing there on the mountain. He's lived through, he's seen and he's experienced the pain of slavery and oppression. You know that he's moved by it because just earlier in this story, Moses sees the way an Egyptian is treating one of his fellow Israelites and goes and kills the Egyptian. And the Israelites don't respond well to that, but you know that Moses' heart is moved by the plight of his people. He's seen it, he's experienced it, he knows the pain of slavery and oppression. For years, his heart has yearned for something different. And here he is, with the mess going on around him, tending his father-in-law's sheep. I wonder if that was high on Moses' list of things to do in life. And now, while he's tending the sheep, there's a burning bush that's burning but is not consumed by fire, that's speaking to him. And God out of the burning bush says, guess what, Moses? I've seen it. It's time to go. I'm gonna rescue my people out of the hand of slavery and out of the hand of the Egyptians. Are we gonna do this? And you think Moses is gonna go, yes, this is fantastic. This is what I've been waiting for all my life. But Moses doesn't react like that. Moses reacts the same way a whole bunch of you reacted when I said that God wants to use you in someone else's salvation story. Moses goes, whoa, 
I like the idea of that story changing God, but me? And Moses comes up with a whole bunch of excuses why the thing that God's called him to do is not the thing that God really should be calling him to do. Five excuses Moses has in this little dialogue. Moses is making an excuse to a burning bush. Quite comical, really. But Moses, in talking to God in the bush, says this. He says, God, verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So, so the first excuse that comes into Moses' spirit when God says, Moses, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to send you. First thing Moses says, well, who am I? Who am I? And that's the first response a whole bunch of us have when God calls us to do something. Well, who am I? God, if you really knew me, if you really knew how mucked up and broken and how many mistakes I've made this week and how useless I really am and how, you know, I'm just... God, if you really knew me, there's no way that you would be asking me. And it's got a little bit of Moses' reaction. Well, who am I that I should go, God? Who am I? We all ask that at times, don't we? God asks us to do something. Oh, God, this is a really bad idea. I wouldn't employ me for the task. And Moses says, God, great, great, great plan you've got there, but who am I that I should go? God responds. We'll get to God's response a bit later. But Moses comes up with excuse number two, verse 13. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites then and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So Moses' first excuse is, well, who am I, God, that I should go? And then secondly is, well, who are you? If I walk out there and say, I talk to a burning bush, try this at work this week, just see how it goes. I talked to a burning bush that said, go, I'm going to save you. Man, Moses goes, they're going to think that I'm crazy. I don't even know who to tell them that you are. Like, what, what's, I know that you're the God of fathers, but who are you? What's your identity? What's your name? I don't know enough about you. So, God, if you're going to find somebody to send, surely find somebody that knows something. I guarantee some of you sitting here right now, that's the thing in your head. You've already started with, well, who am I? And now you've gone to the, well, actually, God, I don't know enough about you yet to say, like, I know bits, but what happens if they ask me about, you know, historical evidence of the resurrection, or what if they ask me how to interpret Ezekiel chapter 33, or what if they ask me about, you know, some of the current issues that are all over the media. I, I, I don't know what to tell people about who you are or what you think or what your attitudes are. So Moses says, well, who am I? Then he goes on and says, well, who are you? And God responds to that. And he goes, well, I've got another excuse, God. He says this in verse 4, verse 1. He says, well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? What, what if they say to you, the Lord did not appear to you? In other words, Moses, who am I? Who are you? Now, number three, God, I don't have a lot of influence. So, okay, yep, you've told me I don't need to be anyone special. Yep, you've told me that you tell them that I am who I am. Number three, I don't think they're going to listen to me. And you think that as well. What influence do I have? Who's going to listen to anything that I have to say? And Moses then goes further. He says, well, God, I've got one more really important excuse. In verse 10, he says, Pardon your servant, Lord, 
But I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So his next excuse is this. It's not only that I don't have influence, I just don't have the skills to do what you're asking me. You need me to go stand before Pharaoh and tell him that time to let my people go. God, I do not have the skills. I am terrible speaker. A whole bunch of you use that excuse as well because any time I've asked anyone in this church to get up and stand saying, oh, I'm terrible at speaking. But you think that too. You go, oh, God, I don't even know what I'd say to someone if they asked me about you. Moses says, I don't have the skills to do this. And then Moses gets to excuse number five. It's not really excuse. It's actually an act of defiance. Moses says this in verse 13. He says, well, God, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. He's like, okay, I've tried everything. I told him that I'm no good. And he had, an ex- he had a rebuttal for that. I told him that I don't know enough about him and he had a rebuttal for that. And I told him that I don't have any influence and he had a rebuttal for that. And I told him that I don't have any skills and he had a rebuttal for that. So now I've had enough. Just send somebody else. Like that's just, this is Moses at his most defeatist moment, talking to the bush. God, I've told you all the reasons I can't do it and I don't think you're listening to me. You ever had an argument with God? You're not listening to me, God. I told you I don't have the money to do what you've asked me to do and to walk away from what I've got. I've told you that I have the skills to serve in that ministry that you've asked me to serve in. I've told you that I don't have the confidence to share my story in the lunchroom. I've told you that I'm not smart enough or I'm not articulate enough. God, I've told you that I don't know enough or I'm not good enough or I'm not confident enough or I'm too shy or I'm too broke or I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm too whatever. God, you're not listening to me, so I just want to tell you now where it lands. Go away and get somebody else. Moses just lands in an act of defiance. See, Moses had every excuse in the world, every reason why he couldn't do it, why he shouldn't do it. And ultimately he says, well, now God, I want to tell you, I'm not going to do it. Now, I wonder if Moses is just unique in this. I reckon we've already decided he's not because all of us can start to think of our excuses. Think in your head, what's my excuse? What's the excuse I keep giving? But this is littered throughout biblical history. The Bible is full of people that God grabbed and said, I need you to do something. We're going to do something great. And they've instantly gone, I'll tell you why I can't do it. The book of Judges tells the story of a guy by the name of Gideon and the people of Israel are now being uh, suppressed by this nation known as Midian. And God meets this young guy, Gideon, and says, Gideon, guess what? I'm going to use you. Let's go. Let's go save Israel out of the hand of Midian. And Gideon says this, pardon me, my Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. In other words, Gideon says, God, why choose me? I'm a nobody. Jeremiah, one of the prophets, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the room, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. God comes to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, I need you to go and tell people some stuff. I've actually appointed you for this task. And Jeremiah's first reaction I don't know what to say, God, I'm way too young for this. Jonah. God comes and says to Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Jonah doesn't have an excuse. Jonah just does something that some of us have done. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed in the opposite direction. 
He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and after paying the fare, he boarded the ship and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. See, some of you don't just hear what God asks you to do and go, okay, God, let me tell you all the reasons I can't. So you just go, whoop, I think I heard what you said. I'm just going to ignore that. I'm going to go in that direction to get as far away from that thought as I possibly can. See, the Bible is littered with people that heard the call of God and then found the biggest excuse for they, why they couldn't do it. And part of the reason people find excuses is sometimes we hear the call of God and we think of all the reasons why we can't possibly do it or we can't possibly be the right person or we can't possibly be the one that God would want to use. And we've lost heart of the principle that I started with today and it's this. God does the miracle. He's not asking for you to be super special. He's not looking for superstars. He's not looking for the competent. He's not looking for the best of the best. He's looking for the obedient and the willing. He's looking for the obedient and the willing. You see, Moses probably was a terrible communicator. And Jonah probably was a coward. And Gideon was from a family with no influence and no muscle. And the disciples that Jesus grabbed off fishing boats were way too experienced. And you probably are too shy. And you probably don't know that much. And you probably have plenty of stuff that's messed up in your story. But the point is God doesn't use you in his redemptive story in the lives of others because you have the power to save anybody. Get that through your head. You don't carry that power. He will do the saving, but here's something really cool about God. He is that good that he just wants you to be part of something really awesome. He actually is that good that he decided that a better way to do some of this redemptive work that he's in the business of doing isn't just to go ahead and kind of fire lightning bolts and make it all happen. He says, actually, guess what? What happens in that person's life is going to be so cool. You know, what happens in Jordan's life? If you've known Jordan for the last 12 months, have you seen transformation in this young guy? And some of you have been part of that story. And guess what? You've stood on the sidelines, haven't you? And you've gone, oh man, how cool is it what God's doing? And that's what God is like. He says, I'm going to do something really awesome and I'm going to do the work. But guess what? I need you to just play your part, be willing and obedient. I'm going to take you along for the ride and it's going to be the best ride you've ever been on because you're actually going to see people come to freedom and they're going to be broken free from addiction and they're going to find healing and they're going to find family and they're going to find hope. And guess what? One day they're going to race up to you in the streets of heaven when they're in relationship with their God and their Savior and they're going to embrace you and they're going to say, thanks for just doing the thing he asked you to do because you helped change my life. That's how good God is. But it's not just because he's good. God wants you to be obedient because there's people that you know, that you work with, that you live near, that you are related to, that no one else in this room is, that no other person of faith is. And so he's actually asked you to be the person in that situation that he can use as a conduit for his good news. God is so good, he wants you to be part of other people's stories. So Moses has a lot of excuses and then Moses has his moment of defiance. But when Moses stopped talking in amongst all of those excuses, God responded. I just want to pull three things out of God's response today that I want to be an encouragement to you and to your story. And the first is this. Moses said to the Lord, who am I? First, first excuse, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said this, I will be with you. See, when God calls us to do something, he doesn't leave us alone in it. 
When God calls you to do something, he does not leave you alone in it. When God asks you to reach out beyond your comfort zone or he asks you to serve in a space that you're not currently serving or he asks you to use your gifts to bless others, he doesn't ask you to do something and then leave you alone in it. Actually, the reality is God has already gone before you. God will walk with you and God will remain long after you're gone. God doesn't call you to do things that he'll leave us alone in. And whatever God is calling you to do, he's already at work in it. And some of us balk at times because we want to visualize the outcome. We want to control everything. We want to know it's all going to be okay. And God just asks us to trust him even when we cannot see what is ahead because his words to Moses are his words to you. I will be with you. The thing we want to hear, number one, is when God calls you to do something, he'll go with you in the task. Number two, Moses Another one of Moses' excuses. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? In other words, Moses says, I have no influence. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. See, Moses was a shepherd. What was he holding in his hand? He was holding his tool of trade. He was holding a staff. So he's standing, talking to the burning bush with a shepherd's staff in his hand. Now, we don't really see shepherds wandering the fields with staff anymore, but that was very much the industry of the day. And so Moses is there with his shepherd's staff in his hand, talking to the burning bush. And Moses says, I, I have nothing to bring to this. I have no influence. They're not going to believe me. And God says to Moses, what are you holding in your hand? And Moses goes, I'm holding my staff. Moses was so used to holding his staff, he, would have, he wouldn't have had calluses anymore from holding the staff because his hand would have been so formed to that staff. He knew how to use it. He knew, knew what uh, influence it had over the sheep. He knew the power that his staff held. He was so comfortable and familiar with the staff. And God says, what is it that's in your hand? And Moses just said, it's my tool to trade, God. And you see, here's a crazy thing. If you read the story of Moses and we continue to do it, the staff seems to make crazy appearances. Like Moses holds it out over the river. Moses holds it up while the battle's being formed. Moses just, I don't know, there's nothing powerful in the staff, but what God wants to say to us is, well, what's in your hand? I'll use whatever it is that you got. And for some of us, our tool of trade is a handsaw. For some of us, it's a nappy bag. For some of us, it's a computer. For some, it's a whiteboard marker. For some of it's a pension card. What is your tool of trade? What is it right now that God has put in your hand? And I want to ask you the question, are you willing to let God use whatever it is for his glory? Some of us have decided that we've got nothing to offer because we've looked out at others that we are convinced are more well-equipped for the task. Again, God's not looking for the competent. God's just using, looking for the willing. And he wants to say to you today, what is it that's in your hand? See, if you hold a handsaw as your tool to trade, God has a way of using that for his glory. One, you're probably going to build some stuff that if you choose to align yourself to the heart of God and in the kingdom ways of God, you probably end up building some stuff that's going to be a blessing to people. But more than that, you're actually going to get the chance to talk to others that hold hand saws as their tool of trade in ways that I never will, in ways that those who hold computers in their hand never will. But those of you that your tool of trade is sitting at a desk and typing away and programming stuff and creating stuff, or you're going to have the chance to use the tool of trade that God's given you in ways that those with a handsaw never could. See, what is in your hand? God just wants to say to you, I don't, I'm not actually calling you to do this because I need you. I just want to know if you're willing to do whatever it is I ask you to do. And if the only thing you've got to bring into this relationship is a staff, well, let's go with that. So God wants to say to you today, I'll go with you. And number two, 
Are you willing to use whatever it is you have? Are you willing just to use whatever it is they hold in your hand to do the work that I have for you? And finally, God says this. Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God will go with you. God will use whatever it is you have to bring and to offer to him. And thirdly, as you're obedient to the call of God, he will equip you, he will teach you, and he will grow you. And Moses, over time, became quite competent in standing before Pharaohs and others in front of the nation and declaring the things that God wanted to declare. But he started by saying, God, I could never speak. Now, I love the fact that I get the chance to stand where I get to stand on a Sunday. This is, this is my tool of trade. But in a way, some people in this room had to endure sermon number one, two, ten, and 129. But for me personally, the journey of using what God's called me to do, it didn't start off by kicking the greatest goals. It started off by God just using it as a chance to grow and shape. And he does that. It starts with obedience. And on the way, you start to grow in your skill and your confidence as you do life with Jesus. The first time you ever step out of your comfort zone and share your faith with someone is never going to feel as good as the next time you do it and the next time you do it. And when you get in the rhythm of it, suddenly your confidence grows, your giftedness is refined, knowing that God will with you. And God will sometimes be there to just let you grow through the experience always knowing that God will fill the gaps. So God says, Moses, I'll go with you. Moses, are you willing to use whatever it is that you've got in your hand? Moses, I'll resource you and equip you for the task that I've called you to. See, God's word to Moses is exactly the same as God's word to us this morning. When he calls, are you willing to be obedient? Knowing that you don't go alone, that you don't go ill-equipped or under-resourced, that God will always be there to fill the gaps. If I jump ahead to the life of Jesus, Jesus had a moment where uh, excuses were probably really valid for him. We read the story in a couple of the Gospels. Again, if you're new to reading the Scriptures, once you jump to the back part of the Bible, we call it the New Testament. There's four books in the Bible that tell the life story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell it from different perspectives, and they pick up on some common stories, but they tell stories that the others don't. Anyway, they all tell the story of Jesus, and a few of the gospel writers tell this story about as Jesus was heading to the final stage of his life where he was about to get nailed to a Roman cross and executed that Jesus the night before that happened goes out to the garden garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives to pray and Luke picks up the story in Luke chapter 22 and he says this Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him and on reaching the place he said to them pray that you will not fall into temptation He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. And he says this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Now as Jesus is there, he's got the shadow of all that is to come in the next couple of days before him. It's going to be the most horrific time of his life. It's going to be the most painful time of his life. The scripture tells us that Jesus died a horrific death, nailed to the cross. 
And it was the final sacrifice that needed to be made for all of us for our sins to be forgiven. Jesus carried the weight of that. He knew that he was doing the thing that he'd been sent to do, to die once and for all so that all of us could know forgiveness and hope and healing. But as the reality of what he'd been called to do loomed large, Jesus sat there in the garden and the the scripture goes on to say that, that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground, so full of anxiety and so full of fear and so overwhelmed with the moment Jesus is crying out in the garden and he says, God, this is the thing that I've been called to do. Is there any other way? And some of you, you wrestle with the call of God and you get on your knees and you go, God, just find somebody else. I'm not good. I have no influence. I can't speak. It's not, I can't do that. Jesus says, God, if there's some other way. But then he says this, yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and he sweat. It was like drops of blood falling from the ground. In that moment, Jesus stood up, having said, God, if I can get out of this, let me find a way to get out of this. But if this is your will, I'll submit myself to your will. Jesus stepped out of that garden and he set his sights on the cross and he walked through the most horrific 24 hours that anyone could ever imagine. And he did it because he was driven by love for you. Imagine if Jesus in that moment says, whoop, I'm backing out right now. I don't know, I'm not needed. Yeah, Jesus didn't do that. Now, God's not going to ask any of you to go to a cross and die for the sins of all mankind. Maybe all he's going to ask you to do is to walk across the road or to go and see your neighbor or to talk about him in the lunchroom or to reach out and care to a broken family or to cook a meal for someone that's hurting. For some of you, he might actually tap you on the shoulder and say, I actually want to send you away from this place to go and serve me in a different part of the world or a different part of this nation. For some of you today, you might just want to tap you on the shoulder and say, you've been sitting here too long. It's time to get busy doing something. I haven't equipped you with the things I've equipped you for, for you to sit on your hands and consume. Actually, you're going to come alive when you start serving others. For some of you, it's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, it's time for you to start using some of the resources, both money and physical resources you've got for blessing others and for building my kingdom. For some of you today, he's just going to tap you on the shoulder and say, it's time to tell your salvation story. God will do the work. Jesus will do the miraculous. The question is, are you willing to be obedient? Father God, in this space this morning, many of us have wrestled with the things that you've called us to do. Some of us have never acted on that because we got a list of excuses just like Moses. God, we can think of all the reasons why you've got it wrong and we're the worst choice. But some of us just haven't even come up with an excuse. We've just kind of run the other way to try and get away from it. But God, there's some things that you've asked us to do. And for some of us this year, it's to have the courage to share our salvation story with someone else so that their story may be transformed for all eternity. God, for some of us, it's about using our gifts and skills and the thing that you've placed in our hand just to do whatever it is you call us to do with that. God, I wanna pray this morning as we reflect on what 
it is that you ask of us, what we reflect on this story, God, that what you might well up within us is a courage to be obedient no matter what you call us to do. I just want to ask us to do something this morning. And there's nothing special or magical in this moment. You see, the, often the, uh, the stance of surrender is actually being on our knees, but I want you to do the opposite today. Just, if you just need to say to God, God, this, I, I receive this message. I hear what you're saying to me in this, and I'm willing to respond. I'm willing just to be obedient to whatever it is you call me to do. God, make it clear to me, but I'll be obedient. If you tell me to go, I'll go. If you tell me to speak, I'll speak. If you tell me to share, I'll share. If you tell me to cook, I'll cook. Whatever it is. God, I'm willing to be obedient. If you just want to make that statement, not to me, not to anyone around you, but just to God, here I am, I'm willing. Can I just ask right now that you would just stand? I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over the willing and the obedient this morning. If you just want to stand where you are, just let me pray over you. That God would use you, that he would see your heart in this moment. And that you might be blown away by the way he uses your story in someone else's. Father God, I just want to thank you this morning for those that have responded in faith to this word. May you speak to them with clarity, God. Help them see what it is that you call them to do with real clarity, God. And then give them the courage to respond. Lord, I want to pray that you would just see and observe in this moment the willing and the obedient hearts across this place. Father, that you would bless them with new opportunities. God, that you would bless them in ways that they could never imagine. And that one day that every one of them would have somebody run up to them in the streets of glory and embrace them and say, thank you for doing the thing God called you to. My life, my family's life, there's generations of people that have been transformed because of what you did. God, give them great joy, I pray, in Jesus' name. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.